Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. What's going on, Milestone Church? How are we doing tonight? Come on. Oh, you can do better better than that. Come on, how are you doing tonight, Milestone Church? When there's a fasting, praying church, I'm telling you, heaven rejoices and hell is in turmoil over what is happening in Keller, Texas right now. I'm convinced the devil would, would have us do anything beyond deprive ourselves of one thing so that we could give ourselves over to something better for a season. Y'all have chosen to start the year off right with that kind of foundation. I'm believing for blessings and grace and strength going into 2019, smashing through into 2020. Come on, let's believe that God is going to do incredible things in your lives, in your families. And with this many young people in the front, y'all better help me preach. I'm counting on you. Come on, where's the young people at? Up in here, you guys, you guys here? I love it. And just a truly, truly an incredible thing for us to be here and, and see with our own eyes what is happening here, what you guys are a part of, what you're building. And uh, I know you guys, you know, been going here for a while and every week this is your church experience and all that. But please just promise me you will not get used to this because this is ridiculous. Come on, I'll tell you what. I had the chance to travel a little bit and get out and see a little bit about the body of Christ around the world. And, and you know, I, I meet some people that are kind of like doom and gloom about stuff, like, oh, it's so bad, it's so dark, it's never been darker. I got news for you, Jesus is building this church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So I'm pretty optimistic about us being on the winning team and all that. Uh, I've read the back of the Bible, Jesus wins in the end, spoiler alert, right? There's this thing called revelation, right? He's going to come back and, and do for the whole universe what we used to do back in the late 80s, early 90s when Mario got glitchy. You take the cartridge out, blow on that sucker, stick it back in. Jesus is going to do that to the whole world. And when he boots it back up again, no cancer, no car accidents, no disease, no strokes. The lion's going to lie down with the lambs. Snakes, the Bible says, will play next to children and the children won't get hurt by the snakes. And the snakes won't get hurt by the children. I'm just, it's going to be amazing. Heaven's going to be so good. But, but in all my travels and seeing so many churches, I, I, honestly, our team walking around here all day, seeing the facility, meeting with your team at, at the church here and seeing what, what love has built, seeing what sacrifice has built, seeing what many people committed to a common vision has been able to produce. We have just been, literally my jaw is sore from having my chin on my chest all day long because your church is amazing. So come on, give Jesus a hand. Now give yourselves a hand, come on. And can we please honor the pastoral couple that God has put the vision in their heart. Come on, we honor you. Come on, you can do better than that. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for your vision. 16 years of faithfulness and integrity and passion. And I, I just think it's inspiring. We're going back home to Montana where there's snow on the ground, by the way. Six inches when we woke up this morning, like, hello. I went out to get something out of the car and I had just like, you know, Adidas slippers on. I was like walking through. Like, this is a terrible plan. Uh, but, but to get here to Texas and and uh, we're grateful for you too, uh, Pastor Jeff and, and Brandy, and, and just believe so much uh, is, is, is going to come out of this. Is this just the beginning? Anybody with me? Come on. So this, this whole area is going to be touched for Jesus, or we're going to die trying. Amen? 
like you like how Marty we like I've just met you and I'm like we are gonna die trying like can I just be one of you is that okay if things don't work out at Fresh Life I'll just apply for a job here at Milestone Church I'll tell you what um, also Babes is here and uh, I, I, this is where Babes is oh I know about Babes you think I don't know I know all about it and uh, and I know you guys are fasting so that's screwed up to bring that up right now but I'm not fasting so. So babes is going to happen before I go home. And my wife, who's watching on the webcast, Jenny, I love you. Uh, There's going to be more of me to love when I get home. There's going to be, I'm going to have more for you to love. And um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, You know, I have written a couple books, and it's been a special thing to to get it right and send them out. And when you write a book, it's like, um, it's this weird thing because you have your heart on the reader. And when I write, I think of one person I'm writing for and, 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 and um, then you load it up like a, a message in a bottle. And when you hit send to the publisher, it's like you're throwing that bottle with a cork in it over to the ocean. You're trusting the Holy Spirit to be able to carry it to who it needs to get to so that one person who's in a season of dryness or brokenness or grief or, or despair of their you know, relational life will, will get it. And, 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 and through the years and through the distance geographically that, that it will just hit them right where they need to be hit. And it's such a privilege to get it right. And I love it so much. Um, and my first book I ever wrote was called Through the Eyes of a Lion. And the reason I wrote that book was because after my five-year-old daughter went to heaven in my arms five days before Christmas, I couldn't find any book that would give me what I needed. Uh, there's lots of grief books out there. Lots of books that'll basically put a hand on your shoulder and say, you'll get through this. But that's not the grief book I wanted. You see, I didn't just want to get through it. I wanted to get something out of it. I wanted to give the devil a black eye because of it. I wanted, I wanted to plunder hell in the midst of my grief. And so what I felt like God had me to write was not a manual for grieving, but a manifesto for a high octane kind of living where you see heaven as real and life as brief. And you want, you want just this one go around we get to carpe the heck out of some diems in Jesus' name. <laughs> And the experience of, of having a member of our family go home um, so suddenly and unexpectedly, she had an asthma attack, and, and, and that's what happened that night. That, that's that book. And I wrote it not just for those who will ever have to go through burying someone they love, but anyone who's ever lost a job, ever, anyone who's ever lost a friendship that meant something to them, anybody who ever uh, went through anything hard and difficult and, and, and believed, like I believe, that wherever there is impossible pain, God has always given incredible power. And every time you hurt, God unlocks a new level for you to trust him and be used. And it's almost like, you know, the devil's like some punk kid who's never stayed in a fancy hotel. You ever have your kids like find a refrigerator under the dresser where the TV is and go, there's so many snacks. And you're like, don't you touch one of those Butterfingers, Billy. You know what I'm saying? Because you know it's going to be like $98 on your bill. Sometimes I think about the devil being like a little idiot who's never stayed in a fancy hotel, discovering the minibar, thinking I'll just load all this up into my suitcase. And while I'm at it, I'll take the robe, I'll take the linens, I'll rip the TV off the wall, not knowing the front desk has his credit card number on file. I just happen to believe that God is going to make the devil pay for every dumb thing he was ever stupid enough to ask permission to accomplish in your life. And through the eyes of a lion will hopefully help you to see in the incredible pain you face, some incredible power uh, to walk in. The second book that I wrote uh, was called Swipe Right. 
And uh, for those who are over 40 in the room, uh, that's a reference to Tinder. And uh, uh, it's all about life and death and sex and romance and how uh, sex and romance is an issue of life and death importance. And that what we do with our love life is going to impact all of our life. And so we have to be real careful in our teenage years. Listen to me, real careful in our 20s, real careful what we do because we, we, our culture says that you can do whatever you want now and then just basically one day say, that's all behind me and I'm married now. But here's what the truth is. Uh, what a man sows, the same he will reap. What a woman sows, the same she will reap. So you can't sow death and reap life. You can't sow sin and reap blessings. So when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to intimacy, when it comes to pornography, when it comes to these things that we bring into our lives, what we are doing is setting ourselves up for failure down the road. Because the kind of, the kind of man of, that, that you marry one day, uh, he's determining the evening of his life by the morning of it. And so I, I think a lot of times marriages in our day, they, they end before they even really begin. You know, you ever see a marriage just dissolving? Like, what happened? They were so happy. They were so happy. It had very little to do with what was actually in the actual marriage. It has a lot to do with what they brought into the marriage before the marriage began because they had bound their souls to somebody through premature intimacy and done that again and again and again. And then they got into a marriage expecting it to stick. But sex is a lot like a post-it note. The more times you stick it, the less sticky it becomes. And a lot of times we get into a marriage wanting it to stick and it's just, we've, we've taught ourselves to be numb to the kind of intimacy that God has for us. And so that's what Swipe Right's about. Maybe uh, you would enjoy to read it um, and maybe there's someone in your life that you wish you could legally put a chastity belt on and you'd want to buy it and go through it with them. But that's Swipe Right. Uh, it's been awesome just hearing stories of dialogue between parents and students and small groups and, and all that. But, but, the, but the, the most recent book is the one I'm going to speak out of tonight and, and that's called I Declare War. And I'll just explain the topic because everywhere I go, people say, why, why would you write a book called I Declare War? That's so hostile and aggressive. And, and here's why. Because you are in one whether you admit it or not. And uh, I think a church that's fasting and praying and, and here in, as you are, shout out Overflow uh, on a midweek, night three, just hungering for God. I think you guys are a little bit more aware than the casual observer to the war that's raging. And I think that's one of the important things about fasting is that it helps us to see what's always going on, only just invisibly. And it brings to the forefront spiritual things and we become aware of, of what most of the time we stumble around completely unaware of because we're double clicking our pictures on Instagram and we're drinking our you know, oat milk latte. Look how trendy I am. What else are they gonna find that can produce milk, people, right? <laughs> oat milk? That's like the milk right now. You realize that's like, that's like the stuff, you know. In Bishop Arts District somewhere right now, someone is buying an oat milk latte, right? And <laughs> I opened my refrigerator the other day. There was soy milk, almond milk, banana milk, macadamia nut milk, oat milk. I turned to my wife. I said, honey, where's the milk? Right? There was no, there was no milk, there was no milk in all of our milk purchasing, there was no milk, right? Someone's going to come out, like, what, you, you please hit me up on Instagram when it happens. You're going to see it. Someone's going to go, here's the newest rage, cow milk. And everyone's going to go, oh. <laughs> it's like going to come full circle now, right? It's like, they, those things produce milk? That is so cool. Um, <laughs> but we're unaware of the war that's raging 
all around us. You're like, Levi, which war are you talking about? I'm going to need to be more specific. Are you talking about a geopolitical war? Are you talking about war in the, between Republican, Democrat, and Tea Party? Are you, are you talking about war with the devil? Are you Actually, I'm talking about the most important battle for you to win in. The war with yourself. I, I declare war. Four keys to winning the battle with yourself. And I'll just tell you, the heartbeat of the book is that in the battle you are in with yourself, because you're actually more dangerous to yourself than the devil is. I don't know if you knew that. The devil has to ask God's permission to mess with you. You don't got to check with no one before you make a mess of your life. The, the enemy ha had to stand there behind Jesus saying, throw yourself off. Throw yourself off the temple. Eat bread out of these rocks. Bow down and worship me. He couldn't make him do anything. That oft-repeated phrase, the devil made me do it, is actually quite inaccurate if you think about it. The devil can't make you do anything. All he can do is put a bad idea in your head. But you and I are actually capable of self-sabotaging and completely short-circuiting and not doing any of the great, and, the great and magnificent things our great and mighty king wants to do through our lives. If you need evidence of this, please see Samson. Please see Cain. Please see the litany of, of, of people in, in Scripture who had enormous talent and, and, and calling and anointing coming off of them like, like, like flames, and yet ended oftentimes in great tragedy. So, so we are at war with ourselves. And you think, not me, Levi. I've been a Christian for a while. I've sorted some stuff out. I'm doing pretty good. Oh, really? So, so you could probably tell the Apostle Paul a thing or two. Because that guy wrote 13 out of 27 books of the New Testament and planted churches all over the Roman Empire and yet said in Romans 7, what I want to do, I don't do. What I do, I don't want to do. Who's going to help me? What a wretched man that I am. I'm at war with myself. The heartbeat of the book, though, is that in this war with yourself, you would rise up like a lion. Like, like, I almost said lion. That was my first book. Sorry, I'm mixing animals here. <laughs> wolf. That you would rise up like a wolf. And God spoke to me to, to, to write about this when I was reading a biography about my second favorite U.S. president, Teddy Roosevelt. And Teddy's amazing. I, I, I just encourage you to look up Teddy Roosevelt, read about him, read history, read biographies. Young people, listen to me. Put the, put the phone down, put the Netflix down, and read a little bit more. Finish a book in this next month, then start another book, and, and, and be a reader. Because here's the thing. Readers are leaders, and leaders are readers. And, and you, need to, you need to develop those muscles. Anyway, binge-watching Netflix has been linked to depression. I know I feel depressed when I see 10 seconds till the next episode starts, and I'm like, I should, I should go do something, like put pants on, eat some food. I... <laughs> but then once it starts, you're like, well, I, it would be a sin to not finish what I started, right? I'm... God wouldn't be honored by that, right? I guess I'll just watch nine more episodes. The self-loathing is a lot, though. So I would encourage you to read. I was, I was reading a book about Teddy Roosevelt, and, and I, I came across the story, of, famously, of his leading the, his men, the Rough Riders, for the Battle of San Juan Hill in Cuba. And, of course, as the story goes, he found himself, his entire... 
you have a second? You got just one minute for me to tell you how amazing Teddy Roosevelt was? Because some of you are like, it went right over your Yonville, right? Could you tell us something funny, please? I don't want to know about some old, boring, dead president. This guy was the first U.S. president to ever ride in a submarine. First U.S. president to ever own an automobile. First president to ever have a telephone inside their personal residence. First U.S. president to ever win a Nobel Peace Prize and the Medal of Honor, which he won posthumously after he left this world. He was the first U.S. president to ever entertain an African-American in the White House. And that African-American happened to be Booker T. Washington. No big deal. Uh, so, so the guy's a, a legend. Uh, he also, uh, his entire life, wanted to be a soldier and had this kind of like image of himself because he was like 90 pounds soaking wet as a freshman in high school. And his dad said, maybe if you bench press a little bit more, you could build up that, that just pec muscles. And so he kind of like, you know, didn't have steroids at his disposal. So he, uh, he got into the gym and, and just kind of had this macho image in his mind. Well, then his, uh, his wife and mother died on the same day in the same house of com two completely unrelated ailments. And he plunged into a deep, dark depression. And in that day, it was very common to shove everything down and not speak about it. You wore black for a week. And then it was kind of like you just never really opened that chapter up. Completely unhealthy, by the way. And he, you know, pushed himself to South Dakota where he, in the badlands of this Western frontier, you know, found himself in the macho activities of cattle roping and, and all, and, and, you know, just fighting grizzly bears, mono e mono. This guy was a legend, right? And, and, and so he, when the, when the war broke out, wanted to be a soldier and he volunteered. He was a civilian, but volunteered to lead a regiment uh, on horseback uh, to, to fight. And so he got all of his buddies from Harvard and the cowboys and Indians he met during his exploits in the wild, wild west, Will Smith shout out, and, <laughs> and led this group on this, on this battle. He even designed uniforms for them. I mean, it's, this is all real, okay? So, so now they're in Cuba. The horses have been unloaded. His first horse drowned as they were unloading it from the ship. So he had, he's riding his backup horse, and, and they're charging into battle. And then the first uh, time they came into conflict at San Juan Hill, bullets started flying, and all of a sudden he was rethinking his desire to be a soldier. It, was like, it looked great on paper, you know, when he was designing the outfits, right? And then all of a sudden he's like, wait, they're shooting at us? He found himself on the ground, as the story goes, near a piece of barbed wire fence that had fallen over. And it's funny the things you fixate on in moments of crisis. And he look, he's looking at this barbed wire fence, and what he realizes is it represents a point of no return. If I cross this, I'm, I've gone across the Rubicon. I'm, I'm committed to battle. Behind me this way, I could retreat and no one would care. Matter of fact, I'm about to charge, even though my commanding officer hasn't given the go-ahead for me to do this. And the barbed wire fence represented for him this, I go to war or I retreat and live a life to, of safety and fear. And he, on that day, crossed that barbed wire fence. And he said in his journal that when I crossed the barbed wire fence, a power like a wolf rose in my heart. And his men said from that moment forward, he was the most glorious soldier they had ever seen. And for the rest of Teddy Roosevelt's life, he referred to that day, July 1st, 1898, as the greatest day of his life. Now, I don't know on what front you need to win the war within, but I know this, 
If you'll quit pretending it's not a problem and rationalizing and justifying and putting off change to later, and one day you'll get around to sorting out that addiction or that vice or that part of your spirit that's critical or that issue with, that caused you to leave the last three churches that you left and to leave the last three jobs that you left and then to get out of the last three relationships. If you'll just address it head on and quit retreating, but cross the barbed wire and move forward into all that Jesus died for you to have, I'm telling you, there's a power like a wolf that's ready to rise in your heart. And so that, in a nutshell, is the message of I Declare War. I want a wolf to rise in your heart. I don't have time to get into it. In the book, I talk about how that means that you need to speak like a wolf. That means you need to think like a wolf. And that means that you need to act like a wolf. But in this uh, time that we, this brief time that we have together, just for a few moments, I want to talk about uh, the fact that we also need to fight like a wolf. We need to fight like a wolf. Before we begin the, the text, the reading from the text, though, let me, would you mind a story? Came across, no answer. That's fine. I have the microphone. I'll do what I want. Um, <laughs> what's with all the rhetorical questions, Pastor? Just, we know you're going to do what you want to do. Okay, all right. I came across on YouTube a video, a man talking about uh, a near-death experience he had. His name was Larry Waters, and he and his wife Chrissy were uh, riding uh, their, their truck up to a uh, frozen lake. And they, they normally would just cross the frozen lake. It's a thing that you do in cold weather places, Texas. Um, you, you can actually ride vehicles out across ice. And, and uh, on this particular occasion, he didn't really feel super safe about the ice, uh, but he did see fresh tracks, so he thought, it is probably safe, but just to be sure, I'm going to stop the truck here, I'm going to unload the four-wheeler, and my wife Chrissy and I are going to ride the four-wheeler across the lake. And, and so that's just what they did. Um, and they're going along, and like I said, fresh snow, they see tracks, they know people had, had been that way recently, and so they figured it was, it was pretty safe, and, and so off they go, and, and they're having the greatest time ever, just, just zipping across, and it's real smooth, of course, the, the, the ice, and he said they heard it and felt it at exactly the same time, the ice cracking and the ATV lurching, and before he knew it, they had stopped, dropped, and rolled right into the waters, now they're, they're struggling because the ATV sank like a rock, but, but they're, they're, they're trying to make their way to the top and they're wearing clothes now that are like cement because they're, they're full of water. Their shoes are full of water. They both managed to get to the edge of the ice, but neither of them were able to get out to safety. Their, their hands were almost instantly frozen and useless to them and clawed as they tried to. They couldn't get purchase on the slippery ice to pull themselves out. They couldn't do the one thing they needed to do, to hoist themselves out of the ice. And at the same time, it dawned on them, we're going to drown here. So given over to that inevitable reality, Larry swam over to the other side where his wife was hanging desperately to the edge, and he kissed her and prepared to say goodbye. Because they both realized we're going to die here, cold and afraid and alone. And the truth is, on whatever level we can relate, we've all felt those three words. Cold, afraid, alone. Almost my entire life I've struggled with bad dreams, nightmares, cold sweats, fear about people I love, fear about my own soul, fear about death, fear about life, fear about ministry not going well, fear about ministry going well. 
And I've woken up in a panic more times and in more places than I, that I care to admit. You see, the truth is, yes, we are meant to rise up like wolves. But what I've realized is that we're not the only wolves. Habakkuk describes enemies that come against God's people as bitter and hasty. Look at the reference on the screen. As a bitter and hasty nation that can come against against us terrible and dreadful, swifter than leopards. Notice, more fierce than evening wolves. Charles Spurgeon preached a whole sermon on why Habakkuk would refer to the wolves as evening wolves. And of course, we're living in a day where depression and anxiety are the new normal, where one out of five Americans are on some kind of uh, illicit substance, where uh, something like one out of 10 Americans are taking an anti-anxiety medication. We're living in a day where suicide has now surpassed car accidents as the number one cause of accidental death. And they say the numbers are actually probably higher because most men who take their lives try to do so in a way that looks as though it were an accident so that there's not ramifications on the insurance and they want to make sure their family's taken care of. In the last 20 years in the United States, there's been more than a 25% increase in the rate of suicide every year. And self-cutting and self Loathing and self-starving are, are, are epidemic levels. We've never been more connected and socially plugged in. We've never had greater access to entertainment or food or travel. And yet here we sit in this age where we have everything to watch, everything to, 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 to everywhere to go, and so much to wear, and so much to do, and bigger houses than ever. And yet we have empty souls and we live lives of fear and lives of depression and lives of, of, of darkness and, and sorrow. And, and like I said, I've, I've, I've related to that for, for so much of my, my journey. And I believe, listen to me, that, that, that there's probably many of you who, who these sorts of things are, 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 are the devil's weapon of choice against you. And in this war that you need to win within yourself, these are things that, that come against you. And, and, and that's why God sent me here, I believe, to tell you that, yeah, it is important that you think like a wolf, speak like a wolf. And I hope you read the book and, and be blessed by all those things. But, but, but really, I came tonight to tell you, you got to fight like a wolf. And you got to, listen, you got to fight like a wolf. You got to have a, some fight inside of you. There's got to be something inside of you that realizes you're under attack and that there's some force trying to keep you back from all that God wants you to do. You got you to gotta have a spirit where it's got fight in you like a, like a wolf. Roosevelt had that. We talked about Roosevelt fighting that guy, all that we mentioned. The guy wrote 26 books. I've written three. I'm telling you, there's some fight in that guy, 26 books. When it came to the end of his life, he finally died. Did you know he died in his sleep? Died in his sleep. And the current sitting vice president at the time remarked, we have the quote on the screen, he said that death had to take Roosevelt while he was sleeping because if he had been awake, there would have been a fight. <laughs> come on, my prayer for you is if the devil comes to take you, he better come while you're sleeping because there's going to be a fight otherwise. I just encourage you to not... Just allow these things. And I'm not saying there's not going to be medically diagnosed reasons for you to be on prescriptions. I'm not trying to say that you can just pray every kind of anxiety away. Certainly, we've done a disservice in the church by not recognizing mental illness where there's illness. But what I am saying is that certain things come against us, and we don't have to just be content to allow them to be there as though that's how it's always going to be. We, I'm, I'm, I came to tell you that you need to fight like a wolf for your life because... 
because there's value on your soul. There's value on your life. God has a plan for you. He wants to use you in incredible ways, but you got to be alive to see the, and fully functioning to see those things come to pass. A couple principles, if, if you don't mind taking notes in church on a on a Wednesday that I want you to jot down after we read our heading. There's going to be four takeaway truths. But first, let me read to you this beautiful passage that describes us fighting the way God wants us to fight. It's 2 Corinthians 10. It says in verse 3, I do live in the world, but I don't fight my battles the way the people of the world do. The weapons I fight with are not the weapons the world uses. In fact, it's just the opposite. My weapons, everyone say my weapons, because these can't be your pastor's weapons. They can't be your mama's weapons. They can't be your wife's weapons. They can't be your sister who's a, a Beth Moore praying warrior's weapons. They got to be your weapons. It's got to be your faith. You got to take control of your life. You got to rise up and let it be your faith. It can't be as, as for me and my dad. It's got to be as for me and my soul. I'm going to serve the Lord. You got you to gotta be able to say, my weapons I fight with have the power of God to destroy the camps of the enemy. I destroy every claim and every reason that keeps people from knowing God. I keep every thought under control in order to make it obey Christ. If you are encouraged by that, could you give me a good amen? amen. Four things, jot them down from this that tell me that, that, that we can win the war, but it's crucial we, 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 we do the following. Number one, control the high ground. In any battle, in any fight, the high ground is essential. Why? Gravity. Why? Sunlight. Why? It's hard to go uphill. <laughs> that's why we needed to win the space race. That's why, that's why uh, taking San Juan Hill was the battle. That's, that's why Normandy. It's always about the high ground. If you're fighting uphill, the sunlight's in your eyes. If you're fighting uphill, the people at the hill can roll down stones on you, shoot down arrows on you, roll down boulders on you. It's always, 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 always about the high ground. And let me ask you this question. What's higher in your life than your head? Nothing. There's nothing higher than your head. So the devil's going to go after the high ground in your life. If he can get control of the way you think, he can control the way you live. That's why it's a key for us to understand. Scripture says, you are what you think. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So we have to control the high ground. My question to you is, what part of your thought life is the devil actively using to smuggle darkness into your soul? And this, this is real practical. This is real practical. It's what we're watching it's, it's our go-to, positive or negative. It's, it's whether it's critical or speaking life. It's, 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 it's whether we're using our words as bricks or bullets. You see what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's just a controlling the high ground. It, it could even just be something in your schedule that, that's giving him control of high ground, an elevated shooting position in your life. Jot these three numbers down under that point, 888. I think one of the ways to eliminate the high ground is to take control of our 888. What does that mean? Eight hours of sleep. We're, we're, we're having a harder time sleeping as a country. People are sleeping less and less and less and less and less. Too much blue light coming into our lives. iPhones charging by our bedsides. Notifications from Twitter at 3 a.m. You need to take control of your sleep. You can't be at your best if you're not sleeping well, if you're not resting. The Bible says, I will lie down in peace. Are you lying down in peace? Fight for your eight hours. What's the second eight? Eight glasses of water. I know I'm talking to a church fast and it's tracking with me on your fluids. 
right? You're like, I've never had so much broth because it's an exception. <laughs> it's like, green juice never looks so good, but now I love this stuff, right? Eight hours of water and not, not so much soft drinks and coffee, real water. Now you're like, are you a preacher or, or a health coach? Let me ask you this question. Would you even recognize your, the version of yourself you would become if a year from now you had gotten eight hours of sleep most nights and you were getting eight glasses of water every day? I think a lot of the things we're praying for, God says, you actually have control of that. God will never do for us what we can do for ourselves. You're like, I'm praying for breakthrough during this fast. God says, the water's right over there, pal. <laughs> Saying, no, I've, I've got a demon. No, you just dehydrated. You just, <laughs> we, there's some simple things we can do that take away the high ground the enemy has in our lives. Eight glasses of water. Eight hours of sleep. What's the next one? How about this? The first and last eight minutes of every day. What if the first and last eight minutes of every day were given over to Jesus? I, I, the, guy, the guy says to me, I can't sleep. I said, what do you do? Oh, right now I'm watching the, the Walking Dead and you're trying to go to sleep. You just spent the last 50 minutes watching a, a zombie gnaw someone's cheek off their face. What? Let me think. I'm, hmm. I'm not a smart man, Jenny, but... 888. Eight, eight. Come on, control the high ground. Am I preaching good on a, on a Wednesday in Texas? All right. Second thing, jot it down. Fight fire by being on fire. Come on, is that good? Fight fire by being on fire. What does that mean? It means you have to trust the Holy Spirit. I know that's already been preached on during this revival, but let me just say that, that in verse 3 and 4 in the Passion translation. That's my newest favorite translation. He, he puts it this way. Just showed up on you version the other day. I was so excited. It was like a kid on Christmas. A new translation. We don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons. Our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power. So yeah, it's good to get your water and it's good to get your sleep. Right? All of that's fantastic. But that, 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 if it's not energized by God's power, it's just self-help. And I'm telling you, as good as self-help is, God's help's better. I've had both. He's stronger. Anybody with me on that? So it's this constant relationship with the Holy Spirit where every new day you're asking God to fill you up like a glove with power from above. That's my prayer. I would never get on a platform without praying that prayer. God, fill me up like a glove with your power from above. I, I, I was filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time when I was in high school. But you know what? I don't rely on that day because I leak. He filled me up real good on that day, but I'm leaky. I'm like a colander, y'all, right? I have holes in me, so the power flows out. So every new day, you need a fresh anointing. Every, sometimes you need it every new minute. I'm telling driving on these roads in Dallas, you need Jesus real good driving in Dallas. And we need to be asking for a new anointing, a new power. Then the devil comes to light you on fire with temptation, light you on fire with a trial. And he'll be like, what? I can't burn what's already burning. I'm telling you, you need to let the Holy Spirit cause there to be a flame in your life that will cause you to be immune to temptation and trial and distraction because God's Holy Spirit has filled you and is controlling you and giving you his power each given moment. We locate the high ground. We take every tactical advantage we can, humanly speaking, right? But then we also trust through the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, God, to give us what we can never do on our own. There are so many people struggling in ministry, vocational or otherwise, who are trying to do God's work without God's power. 
Jesus said, tarry until you receive the gift from on high that will help you to do the impossible thing. Now there's, of course, and ours is the great commission, but every impossible thing we need God's power for. You moms, you need to ask God every day, give you his, his power to do the impossible thing. Get your kids dressed and out the door, right? The impossible thing, being nice to someone who's rude. The impossible thing in each given situation, we also need that power from above. I believe that, that God wants to do in you every impossible thing as you rely on him. Third thing, drop this down, raise your voice. You can't be a wolf if you won't lift up your voice and howl. Come on, on a Wednesday night in Texas, give me your best howl. One, two, three. You know, Jesus was the ultimate wolf. Jesus was the ultimate wolf. And uh, I, I know some of you church folk are like, theologically speaking, Jesus is not the wolf. He is the shepherd. He says, I will strike the wolf and the sheep will scatter. You know what? Uh, you need to loosen up. <laughs> and I mean that because Jesus also told us to be like snakes. And what's more of a picture of a snake than of the devil than the snake? So I, I think that theologically speaking, yes, the wolf is a symbol that's used like the devil, but God's the one who made the wolf. And there are properties about the wolf that are amazing that, that he put, put into creation and we can learn from. And the wolf has been for thousands of years and across almost every human civilization and culture, a picture of strength and warrior spirit, but also of tenderness. And so I, I think it, we have more than enough room to, to believe that there's some good things about the wolf too, right? Anybody with me on that? All right, so, so raise up your voice like a wolf. What does that mean? It means, first of all, to sing, to sing. My, I love that we took communion a moment ago, and I love so much that, that we honored the Last Supper. And I couldn't help but think about, as we were passing the elements around, that Last Supper in the upper room where the cup and the, the bread was, was, was shared. And I thought about what came immediately following the Last Supper. And some of you are Bible students and you would say, yeah, you're talking about Gethsemane. No, I'm actually talking about what comes in between the Last Supper and Gethsemane. You're, wait, I, no, there's nothing. It's the Last Supper and then to Gethsemane. No, you're forgetting about the singing. Because in between the Last Supper and Gethsemane, well, it's on the screen. Look at it with me. Jesus and the disciples having sung a hymn. Most of us blast right through that. Jesus, after they passed the bread and the cup, they sang a hymn. Most people believe it was Psalm 120 through 134, some of the Psalms of Ascent. Then having sung that hymn. How precious is it, by the way, that if you sing some of the Psalms in your devotional time, you are incorporating words that came from the mouth of Jesus on the most difficult night of his life. Jesus needed to put steel in his spine, so he put a song in his mouth. And you've got to do the same. You need to learn to incorporate the raising up of your voice to God. And let me just speak this over you who don't feel the goosebumps right now. I know sometimes we are in season where we feel the goosebumps, right? Like every, every, every note from the, the guitar on the stage, like, oh, my God, that's another goosebump. And there are seasons like that. And real talk in church, there's some seasons where it feels like God is far from us. We haven't had a word for us in a long time, and the prayers have been bouncing and returning, right? Let me just tell you something. I came across in the, the writings of C.S. Lewis this, this life-changing statement. God is most pleased with our prayers that are prayed in times of dryness. Because it's in those times that we're showing him we're not just coming to him like an ATM machine, but we're coming to him for himself. And that he is our reward. And he can often bless us with what we crave, those feelings, 
when we're praying, even when we're not getting them. So, so raise up your voice and sing and let that be a part of not just your corporate gathering and small groups, but your individual time with Jesus. Let that song in your heart fill your car, fill the fear in your soul. I don't even mess around anymore. The devil wakes me up in the night with fear and a bad dream and I just go nuclear right on it. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus. I can't sing, but I'll sing alone. I'll sing to Jesus. I can't carry a tone. You'll never put me on a worship team, but I will sing in the night hours. I will let my bedroom and my fear and my tears be a place that's a sanctuary because the Most High is going to cover me with his feathers, and I know that he dwells in the song of his saints. And so in those moments, you got to raise your voice, but you all got to raise your voice to each other too. Wolf, wolves are pack animals, and, and so that means that you need to tell someone in your life what you're afraid of. Tell someone in your life what you're anxious about. Tell someone in your life that you're feeling depression, that you're dealing with suicidal thoughts. Don't let the devil strangle you in secrecy. Drag what you're afraid of and dealing with into the sunshine so God can blast it with his love. Nothing heals like sunshine. And nothing causes you to feel more alone than darkness. Raise your voice. I got one more. Is this helping anybody? All right, one last thing. And if this has been a blessing, please get the book for the most because this is at best tonight a Costco sample. If you like it, the chimichangas are on aisle seven. All right, so last thing, I want you to jot this down. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. When I say fight like a wolf, it could kind of convey the idea of like a one and done thing. One fight, but I need you to see that it's a constant thing. It's, it's, it's a chronic thing. Maybe I could get a keyboard player to play something beautiful on the keys behind me while I wrap up that will cause the Holy Spirit to, to be perceived as though he were in the room moving in our midst. I forgot to arrange that transition in the back room, so now I'm having to do it with all of you here. I have in my pocket one of my favorite things that I like to carry around with me, and it's a, a matte black Leatherman. And I like it because it's got pliers and a knife and it's very useful. And, and uh, I came across a while back the story of how the Leatherman uh, came to be. And it's a great story. Uh, there was a man named Tim and his last name was Leatherman. And, uh, <laughs> and he and his wife were on vacation and he was trying to fix something. And all he had was a Boy Scout knife and a pair of pliers. And he was trying to fumbly work with the two of them. And he thought to himself, someone should make a pair of pliers that has a knife in them so you could have two in one hand. So he wrote down on his list, things to do when I get home from Europe, invent a pocket knife with pliers. So he goes home and his brother-in-law allows him to use his garage workshop. And so he begins to work on putting a pair of pliers and a knife together. It should be pretty easy. Well, a few years in, he realized it was harder than he thought. And he's full-time devoted to this thing. And his, uh, his whole family is having to figure out life with him not having any income because he's got this dream of pl pliers with a knife. He says he came to a dark moment on his 30th birthday when frustrated in the garage alone, he's working and it's not working out. He was weeping. Didn't seem like he was getting any progress in this mission. But the next morning, he went back to work. Three years in, he finally figured it out, cracked it, got the patent on it and everything. And now, of course, you think, God, that's a great story. But it must have gone like gangbusters. No, 
now he began a five-year period trying to get someone to believe this was a good idea and being rejected by every major tool company, every major retailer. Stanley, the company that makes those thermoses every one of our grandpas has for fishing trips, they rejected it and said, no one will ever want this or need it. He was rejected for, by five, for five years. Over 500 different times he was told no. And he almost gave up. Now, eight years into this, until a friend of his said, maybe you're just not good at business. Let me try. <laughs> you're a good inventor, but let me, let me. And this guy contacted a comp- little known company called Cabela's. And Cabela said, I don't know, but we'll give it a shot. We'll, we'll, we'll take $12,000 worth of units, which was 500 of these. And of course, from that moment on, the rest is history. Flash forward 35 years, there are over 30 different models of the Leatherman. And the company, which is headquartered in Portland, Oregon, where we have a church, has over 400 employees. And it's, it's one of the most incredible success stories ever. But I think about Tim in his garage, day after day, grinding it out, grinding it out, not succeeding. And then even when he succeeded, not succeeding for another five years. And when I talk to you about fighting like a wolf, It's more like that than it is just you're going to do it one time and decide tomorrow you're going to be a different kind of version of yourself and you're going to you're going to win the war within and you thought I'm going to fight it and then you just you're going to you're going to find it's harder than you thought to change. Winning the war within is not one round knockout. It's 12 rounds. It's it's your eyes swollen shut. It's spitting your tooth out. It's round after bloody round. The war within must be won. One punch at a time. One round at a time. Come on, one fight at a time. You got to keep showing up. You're going to get offended and you'll get hurt and it won't work and you'll try and you'll fail and you'll, you'll look at that website again. You swore you'd never look at it again, but you're repenting and you're showing up and you're inviting accountability and you're planted in the house of God and you're a part of the Beyond series and you're giving big so your heart is in God's hands in heaven and you're showing up and showing up and showing up and you're still here two years from now, still here five years from now, still there plugging in, believing that you're going to see the salvation of your grandchildren children and reach your neighborhood, build that business that can be leveraged for kingdom good. Keep showing up. I got a word for my generation. Something being hard doesn't make it bad. And there used to be a day where, where it, was, it was anything that was easy was not trusted. And we've come the other way, full circle the other way. We want everything easy, and we want fries with that also. (laughs) We need to realize the the value of hard things, the value of difficult things, the value of slow things. We're in this Netflix instant download age, but God is the God of sowing and reaping. And and you can't have Amazon Prime sanctification. It's not going to be here in two days, honey. We give the devil 20 years. We give God six months. We throw our hands up in the air and say, it didn't work. We began with two people struggling to swim, about to drown. Larry kissing his wife, Chrissy, goodbye. But that's not where the story ends, because I told you it was a near-death experience. Because right there in that moment, this is, this is true he realized he had in his pocket a Leatherman. And he pulls it out, 
and he opens it up and he's able to use it as an anchor, stabbing the ice with it. He's able to pull himself to safety, swing around and pull his wife, Chrissy, out. And he's one of the many hundreds of people who have written into the Leatherman Company stories of how the tool has saved their lives. And I almost choked up when I heard this because I thought of Tim in his garage at year two and Tim receiving his 459th rejection letter when he could have easily have hung up the dream and said, I gave it my shot. I gave it more than its fair shake. But he kept going and kept fighting and kept showing up even when it was hard, not realizing that his fight, he was going to not only save his family's financial future and give the world a tool that obviously we do need, but also save many lives. So, so I tell you this because, yes, it's incredibly important that you win the war within for yourself, but you're not the only one winning the war, trying to win the war within. And you have to keep fighting and you can't give up and you can't take your life and you can't just accept a life of anxiety and depression and fear that debilitates because God needs you to be poised to reach the people all around you who need to be set free in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Milestone Church. I love you. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 